So during the retreat period, um, when there's a lot of uh, clearing away and focusing happens just because of the situation of what the retreat structure provides, it's a kind of renunciant experience. It's not, it means we just put aside things that aren't really, uh, we can. We've created a situation where we can deliberately put aside functions and uh, duties and so forth. And you know, conversations and, and so on. So that, that kind of quality of relinquishment leads to, that's one of the features of retreat, isn't it? Mm. And see the benefit of that. So conscious um, value one experiences in it. So it's not just sort of imposed straitjacket, the conscious valuing. Buddha recommends this quality of clearing away, relinquishment, renunciation. Mm. What are the benefits? or the drawbacks if it's not there. Uh, A lot of data come in that uh, need to be dealt with. And maybe that uh, weighs against their ability to establish or reset or clarify a centre to concentrate, to be concentrated. And uh, concentration, or as in the Pali word samadhi, is a beneficial, considered to be a limb of the path which enables jnana dasanang yatabhutang, clear awareness of how things become, how they arise and pass. That's its function. And that clear awareness uh, gives rise to a sense of nipita, not interested in this and that and this and that, and the deeper uh, abiding beneath or beyond just pure changing circumstances can be touched into. This feature of, and this all occurs within citta, within the heart, within the heart that, where awareness is seeded, reflective. And of course that reflection is always there, but it gets blurred and blotchy and marked right? and pressurized into this and that. So just that chance to, what's the real heart of all this, what's the basis, what's the behind all this, all this is going on, what's the, the me that's not a person, that inner center of our lives. And you know, the problem being that uh, for the blurred awareness we take the personality structure, the sense of our identity to be the centre of our life. The I am, body, I am this body, I am this name, I am this identity, I am this role or position, I am this location. And of course that's all subject to change. Is there a centre that's beyond change? And uh, this is explained the citta liberated from all grasping. This is deathlessness, doesn't carry the sign of passing away, decay, degeneration, steady, doesn't carry the sign of death, endings, steady. Things arise and pass through that, but it doesn't arise and pass. And naturally this is difficult to focus on because 
what's that? But um, this is what the process of uh, samadhi is supportive for. Mm. And then we have to deal with the English word concentration, which um, samadhi means bringing together unified, collected. Mm. And a significant feature of this, the way that it's used in the Buddhist text, is one doesn't do concentration. One arrives at a collected state. One arrives, one enters, it's called entering samadhi, you enter it, you arrive there, you don't do it. And that's quite a significant shift from the way we would normally consider the word concentration. I I concentrate on the math, I concentrate on the grammar, I concentrate on this particular topic, I concentrate on an object. Another feature we find in the text is that samadhi is never associated with an object. You don't samadhi on anything, you enter it. So it's a domain of gatheredness and collectedness. It's not something you pin on anything. And that really helps us to to really refer to and reset and be clear about our bhavana cultivation. This will arrive, and it arrives through happiness, and inner happiness, and clearing away of irritation, ill will, uh, passion, doubt, dullness, confusion, restlessness. Clearing away of that, one arrives. There's an arrival at a clear collected state where aren't these choppy waves thrashing around in it. There's an arrival in the heart, in a clear heart. Chitta Viveka, it's called. (laughs) Where you've been living for quite a while, at least technically. heart removed from defilements. Now there is something that approximates the concentration in the English word, it's called mindfulness, which is a sort of fixing uh, function. But again, it's it's kind of flexible and uh, you bear something in mind. Mindfulness is defined in the text as one is mindful and is able to recollect things that were said and done long ago. Something can that bring it up and ponder it. That ability to to retain an impression and in a kind of clear way. Yeah. Now this may seem to be a problem because of course probably when we sit here a lot of things we said and did long ago are welling up <laughs> and uh, not necessarily skillful, agitated, worried, craving. Uh, mm-hmm. So it doesn't just mean that, it doesn't mean that you can remember things or, or such a thing as memory, but it's really to select within that domain of what mm, perceptions mm, mm, felt experiences experiences that touch the heart why can you remember them long ago because they meant something to you the ones you didn't mean anything to you can't remember if you reflect upon your life you remember probably 5% of it. If you really looked at it literally every moment, every day, didn't remember cleaning your teeth, didn't remember you know, washing up, you remembered that argument, you remembered that interesting piece of music, you remembered that wonderful meeting, you remember things that struck you. Mm. Mm. So that's a function of memory, but now, 
the Buddha says, well, he himself didn't establish mindfulness. He spent quite a bit of time just turning things over, reviewing, considering. Uh, a process called Yoniso Manasikara, carefully attending this and that, and this and that. What's the point of that? Where did that go? All that. And then became what's called one-pointed, which meant his, inten- his intention, okay, enough of this, enough of that. I established mindfulness. And uh, recommended, having reviewed his experiences, one establishes mindfulness based upon view and virtue. Mm-hmm. View, things arise and pass. Things give rise to skillful states, things give rise to unskillful states. Some experiences take us into stress, some cause the release of it. There is good, there is skillful deeds, and there's a result, beautiful result of that. One has this kind of frame of reference. So you're mindful, you okay, that one, no, that one, no, that one, hmm, worth lingering with. One's view is straight, one's virtue is purified, one establishes mindfulness in three ways, internally, externally, and both. So this is a refrain that's used, this internal, external, we consider, what's that mean? And uh, as soon as we say, okay, this happened, she said that, well, that's an external, this happened to me, came to me, that painful feeling came to me externally, within me, these disturbing feelings were aroused internally. Mm. There's a kind of, you could say there's a skin there. Mm. Or even a, 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 you know, suddenly a memory dropped onto my mind. Ping. And then it's disturbed by that. So it doesn't mean necessarily physical location, but the sense something happened to me and something arose within me. And establishes satya that. Then you can begin to recognize, oh, if that gives rise to this, then let's see what I can do about eliminating or moving away from or being careful about stuff that lands on me. Not just the ones I can, not necessarily what other people do and say, but what I bring to my attention. I keep bringing that memory, that idea, that passion, that irritation to my mind. It gets stirred. Internally, it stirs up. So... When he's mindful of that, one recognizes that. Therefore, hmm, let's be more careful about what I bring to mind and what I look, because it's going to arouse. And therefore, I want to bring to mind qualities that are gladdening, give rise to beneficial effects. And there's a trajectory with that. I mean, simply, this is kind of a, a kind of a, an awakening um, trajectory. One brings to mind that which one has faith in. Gladness is born. One feels gladdened as a refuge. Something that I feel a bit more centered because 
something, now that's at the centre of my life, that which I have faith in, I take refuge in. Then it becomes a centre of some kind. Well, the gladdened naturally arises. And the Buddha says, you don't have to make an extra effort, just keep returning to that, and it will kindle that quality of gladness. When one is gladdened, something in your mental domain begins to ease up, and you can be aware of your body internally, the body's energy system settles down, you can actually go in there. And it becomes relaxed and happy. Then dwelling in that, the jitta experiences its own quality of pleasure and settles samadhi. So that's one trajectory that's um, presented. Another one is one bears in mind one's precepts, or not just literally precepts, but also the whole sense of virtue. One is conscientious, one has conscience and concern, one has integrity, very important centre. To live with integrity, very important centre, because that's independent of time and place. You can locate yourself in that, and it's portable, and it's, if you cultivate it, it goes everywhere, and it gives you a centering. And it's gladdening because you're free from remorse, free from deceit, free from trying to hide things, mm. free from the rather manipulative qualities or deceitfulness or carelessness or cutting corners. You're conscientious, it gives clarity and gladness. Mm. You linger in it, mindful, you linger in it, you bear it in mind, you linger in that quality, give you a centre. These are just such important centering properties because they are authentic. Whereas the false centre means I've got my, I live in my house, in my town. Well, that could be taken away from you. You have to hold it to keep it. You have to grasp it. You have to keep fixing it. That's no true centre because you have to own it. You know, precepts, you don't own them. They're just the natural arising when the heart feels gladdened. And yours are as good as mine. No. <laughs> Not personal possessions. When they cover everything, They're, they straddle, they span the world. Wherever you go, they span your world sense of harmlessness and respect spans your world. So you've got a centre that covers everything. And you're rightly concentrated, rightly centred, fully centred, in a way that's for your welfare and the welfare of others. And that must have, that trajectory must have certain results. One puts aside certain things, yeah, one cultivates certain relationships, one tunes in, and you begin to recognize that actually a lot of stimulation, it's when I get blurred, it's cool that down. Yeah. So the centering takes care of itself, it begins to moderate. I don't really want to go to another party, I don't want to go to another. It's that. Because the sensitivity is more steady and comfortable than the stimulation. This brings to mind another very important, well, to my mind it's important, (laughs) uh, uh, hinge point around what's called Vedana feeling, or I translate it sometimes as sensitivity, from which pleasant and unpleasant Feeling can arise, or even neutral, uh-huh, so what, can arise, sensitivity. 
And it's one of those hinge points because if you grasp at Vedana, you get tanha, craving. Just give me the pleasure. Give me the pleasure. Fight with the displeasure. That's grasping at it. You grasp at the hedonic tone. But if you're mindful of the fact you're sensitive, then you let the feeling, pleasure, displeasure, vibrate, move through. You keep your sensitivity, you don't grab the feeling. Vedana. Vedana, if you've heard of the Indian Vedas, which were the great treatises of knowing, sacred law. Vedana is associated with that. It's that which enables one to have knowledge. This kind of knowledge, heart knowledge. The Vedas were considered the, the aspects of the sacred. One can enter with a properly tuned processes. Mm-hmm. And Vedana derives from that. It means that property which allows one to tune in to true knowledge. So knowledge, vidya, same root. But mm. we see in that um, um, what's called the, the you know the stages of, of practice or truth. You have pariyati, study, patipati, thoroughly entering into it and patti thoroughly vading it <laughs> sensing it that's that sensing experience is being referred to the ability to be sensitive to qualities and we see again looking Yanapanasati Sutta thoroughly patisangwedi the entire body thoroughly sensing so that knowledge can arise this isn't conceptual knowledge this is pajanati direct knowledge associated with what touches the heart and concepts don't go there directly They only go there when they establish perception. So somebody gives me a line of text. Yeah, but what goes into the heart is what does that mean? How does it sound? Is it inspiring? Not is it information, but what does it mean? The meaning, the perception touches the heart. One is aroused, one is fearful, one is angry, one is joyful depending on the sanya, which is felt. So contact, contact in the citta is associated with feeling or sensitivity and perception. Then the citta is touched. And then it starts to formulate sankara, activate, skillfully or unskillfully. That process then has to be held carefully. So that we're tuning into the kind of sensitivities that will be supportive for liberation, for really feeling the stress of unwholesome conditions and distaste for them, and feeling the gladness, wholesome conditions, and lingering in it, absorbing it. This is the filtering process whereby one enters jitta enters its samadhi, its collectedness Mm. sati is cultivating that so what are we bearing in mind? we're bearing in mind cause and effect we're bearing in mind virtue and views we're bearing in mind what's happening to me now bearing in mind, skillful and unskillful, bearing that in mind. And then the Buddha says, when you've established, when you've got this basic template, place it within the body. 
place that sensing, filtering, assessing, bearing in mind process in the body. We look in the Satipatthana teachings and it says walking, standing, sitting, leaning, moving around, chewing, breathing in and out, one is mindful of body. So again, this is really not locational, well, it's broadly locational, the, the body. Uh, not a particular point in the body, but the body. In fact, you know, if you, you can't walk if you focus on a sensation in your toe. You've got to get the whole thing to swing together, haven't you? And it's and sometimes it's actually rather distressing to see people actually practicing mindfulness where they do something like that. They're so focused on their feet they can't hardly walk. It's kind of rigid, robotic, kind of intense. And there's nothing in the suttas that validates that. But we so get the sense you have to be mindful of a point will go against what is natural and embodied to apply an idea of mindfulness. You know? And there's no, there's no backing for it. Apart from the sense is my head is the thing I trust, therefore I can do this kind of attention with my head faculty, which is data-oriented, conceptually orientated, where you can focus down on a particular word or an equation and get pretty sharp definitions there. The idea of that is you eliminate everything else apart from that one theme and you fixate on it. And your conceptual consciousness is very good at that and it's almost completely non-contextual. As we can see, there's no morality in, in math. Physics can be morally immoral. You can do nuclear bombs, chemical stuff. There's no virtue in it at all. Could be, but it's not necessary. So this idea that you lead with your head, because that's the system that we're operating through a lot of the day, normally, you know, doing math, but you're thinking about cooking a dinner, getting on, well, at six o'clock do this, five o'clock do that, you know, these are what ideas. You're tossing this stuff around. Yeah, yeah, that's how you get on. Uh, on that level, and could be, and yet, where does it go? If there's a higher purpose behind that, yeah, this is skillful. If it's just just filling up the day, pointless. It's the higher purpose we want to focus on. Then the details come after that. The intention is the priority. Attention comes second. Deep attention is to find out what's the true purpose and meaning here. Then your intention is established. This is skillful. This is wholesome. This is for my welfare, the welfare of others, and so on. Then you can handle the detail, get the get the priority straight. Mm-hmm. And when there isn't a lot of detail to conceptual detail have to deal with, then okay, let's just dwell in this because there's something particular about the body that concepts don't have. One fundamental thing is it's responsive; it feels. It's sensitive, it's animated. It's not an it's animated. It means if you touch it, it, it knows it. It responds. Responds to not just physical touch, but even things like verbal threat. It responds. It gets the meaning and it responds. Mm. Signs of welcoming, gladness and Friendship, it gets that in response. It's deeply responsive, not just to physical contact, but to what comes in to the chitta. What comes into the heart. We feel gloomy and depressed because we picked up meanings that were distressing, saddening, 
and we got overwhelmed with it. The jitta has a skin. Be careful what you what you place on it, because that perceptions and feelings go right through that boundary. Saturate. That's this beauty. That's it's it's very vulnerable. Because the chitta is fundamentally open. Very fundamental level. It's like an open mouth. Everything can get tipped in there. Therefore, one must establish mindfulness to say, no, no, filter, no, 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 just this is, stay here, stay with it, this this is going to do you harm. Externally, things that arouse the chitter in unwholesome ways, just turn your attention away from it. Things that give rise to happiness and gladness in a skillful way, turn towards that. And why dwell in the body then? Because mm, the body's energy systems, internal sense, has got a tremendous resonant power, as we recognize. Mm, you know, something upsetting can leave you feeling quite shaky for a half a day or more. Grief can leave you feeling shattered and woozy for a year. Bereavement. It's, people die of broken hearts. It's that resonant. The action is past. The divorce is over. Whatever. And yet, the loss, the death, is, that happened three years ago and you're still feeling pretty. Yeah. So it's deeply resonant. And those resonances become you. You, you, feel, you, end, you live in the states. That's, your center becomes occupied by that. Now it can have distressing effects, but also the benefit is that something can be really firmed up in that, whereby the resonances keep sensing ease, gladness, steadiness, no hindrance, no hindrance, ease, steady, comfortable mm. in this. Mm. So using the body to both as a boundary marker just stay within this. Stay within this experience where you have some degree of say over what you're going to contact. You can't have much say whether it's going to rain or not, of course, <laughs> or whether you know something falls on you, but you can have some say over the internal disposition, the energies of the body. You can learn to steady it calm it, you can learn to sense your entire body so that the compression of living up in your head can be released the tension in your shoulders can subside because you wide your attention to include the whole form and the body is both resonant one thing it knows that the thinking mind doesn't know a very powerful thing it knows the thinking mind doesn't know, it knows how to relax. Which is not just about being sleepy, is it? It's, it can feel activated, we fire up, we're aroused, we do something, we stop doing it, sit down, switch, you know, something pretty automatically switches off and come back to rest state. Body does that. Thinking mind could go rattling on with that same issue for another day. And, you know, right? Some of these things have been rattling on for quite a while. It doesn't know how to switch off. Because that's not its conception mind, it's not its, that's not its duty. Its duty is not to switch off. Its duty is to keep formulating organizing things. Where's the switch off come? The off button? Trying to find it in your head isn't going to happen. Only by fighting yourself, suppressing yourself. It comes in a certain sense of embodied relief. Relaxing. Resting. Which means you've got to take those signals of stress 
sense them, how they're affecting your body, catch hold of the sign of embodied ease, widen your awareness to include the whole body so it's not constricted or compressed, breathing out, just holding that in mind, holding that in mind, relaxing, skillful relaxing, releasing tension, agitation, compression, fixation, distractedness, possibly then to enter some calm, which is not anaesthetic, but balanced. The body by itself seeks that balance. That's one of its primary duties. Walking up and down, body doesn't care where you go. It's not, it doesn't care where you go. The mind says go to the kitchen, the body doesn't care. Its main duty is get there without falling over. That's its primary duty. So it'll do that for you. Your mind can't do that. Which foot do I lift? How do I, which muscle? Which balance? The body does it naturally. It knows. It knows it's sensitive to that. So just practicing like that. When you walk into the kitchen, you've got the original signal, walk to the kitchen. You don't need to keep thinking about the kitchen. Turn your body that way, it'll get there. So you learn to cut off those unnecessary signals that start getting fretful and agitated and clutter. So you're walking to the kitchen, okay, feet, body moving through space, sensations, okay. So it's whole body moving, and it's got a balance to it, the composure to it that's gladdening. Go for a walk in the forest. Gladdening, easeful, just feeling the fluencies bodily ease bodily ease, the heart picks up that sign of bodily ease, begins to release its restlessness or its agitation or its obsessiveness pretty much a standard strategy you don't have to be a meditator to know that, that's why people do it so we're shifting the purpose from get to somewhere else that I'm not physically, even psychologically not get to this other state that I need to be in get to samadhi as quickly as possible that get to is a conceptual movement right? yeah. what happened? you conceived and it was a movement driven conceptually Therefore, you're leading with your head again. No, if you do the right practice, you'll arrive there. You start walking to the kitchen, you'll arrive there. You don't need to keep thinking, kitchen, kitchen, how fast, how long, which way do you get to get to the kitchen? How many, how many steps is it going to take? 15, 25, who's got longer legs? I'm too short, my legs are too short, I can't possibly do it. <laughs> you know, just walk. <laughs> and enjoy deepen it, deepen into it this is how one cultivates so that bearing just the simplicity of the body in mind its vibrant, resonant nature, its ability to maintain balance relax what isn't necessary and focus on what is necessary for this movement, walking Internally, internal walking, you can sense those. When you're walking, perhaps your energy picks up and changes. Walking so you open your entire body to it, you're not just letting your feet do it, you let your, your hips move, keep your upper body open, don't compress anything, just really open to whole body walking. Nothing in the scriptures says you do anything else. Mm. And it does say the concentration that comes from walking is long-lasting. Samadhi from that, because it is fortified by the fluidity, the balance, 
the comfort the body's energies are in. And you can, with walking, you're establishing a very clear boundary. Just this body. Just this body. So we notice you know, sight, sounds. Okay, I'm walking. Sunny, shady, like the, sh- like the sun, don't like the shade. You've got to walk. So get past those contact impressions externally. You're mindful of them. You notice this is to be not disregarded, mindful internally. This is where the, the balance and the uh, brighter qualities can be experienced. Boundary keeping. There's a boundary, and that boundary is flexible. Boundary depends on the centre, the centre depends on the boundary. If you have no boundaries, you get no centre, you're just scrambled. No boundaries, no centre. If you can't find your centre, establish a proper boundary, the centre will fall. If you can't find your boundaries, establish the boundaries. I refrain from doing this. I cultivate this, that's a boundary. I refrain from doing this, I cultivate this, that's a boundary. There's a yes, no. Mm-hmm. Stay within that, centre will arise. The centre, in terms of ethics, is our moral conscience, our sensitivity. Yeah? The jitter is permeable, it has a skin. The skin gets torn, we get flooded, overwhelmed. Or what happens as is presented when the Buddha talks about sati in referring to citta. Citta senses this experience affected by love or by hate. And then these are the effects that run through it. And he says the citta contracted or uncontracted, scattered or not scattered. That means when the citta is getting so flooded, you can't manage, it just contracts. The skin tightens around it. We just become hardened, insensitive, can't manage. Citta contracts, it shrinks. And with that shrinking as a defence me- mechanism to what we can't cope with, we lose our balance and sensitivity. Neurotic. Can't manage. Or distracted. Completely scattered. Chitta breaks, loses its skin altogether, we fall apart. People have breakdowns, psychotic splits, bits of the chitta just fall apart because there's no proper boundary. You don't know what's internal, externally. Hearing voices in your head, think it's somebody else out there. Boundary's gone. Psychosis. So that that skin has to be carefully held because it is fragile. Held with kindness, held moral sensitivity, held within a safe medium, such as your breathing, which has never failed you. Keeps you alive. Doesn't ask for anything not created by a person, not self, it just happens. And lingering in that quality, the way it happens. So if we're contemplating causality and view, we're not particularly interested so much in the specific details of the breathing that comes later maybe, but just this sense of, it arises. It subsides. It arises. It subsides. It's a flowing process. It's not self. It's not mine. It's given. And here it is again. And it's doing this thing, and I'm recognising the effects, 
breathing in, I get a sense of something brightening. Breathing out, I get something cooling, softening. Focusing on getting into that sense. One is mindful, breathing in, breathing out. established in that way then one talks about training then a little bit of something conscious occurs like let's just measure is the breath how long is it is it fully extended or is it compressed so taking that time to sense don't cut it off let's feel the entire process of what occurs with breathing in Brightening right up into your face, your skin. Breathing out. Whole body senses a cooling, subsiding effect. Breathing in, whole body gets brightened. You focus on that uncompressed, long, unrestricted. It begins, the system begins to tingle and glow. And then the breathing calms down the rate of it. Because now we're not using up energy in scattered thoughts. Needless energy, the body just adjusts the breathing. Breathing becomes shorter, quieter. Because you're not using much. You're fed. You, you can do a feedback loop where the natural animation of the body is feeding itself. It's not spinning out into stray thoughts. That center becomes much stronger. Mm. training oneself sensitive to the entire body training oneself soothing, calming the entire body internally one trains oneself relaxing, widening, softening within that field of energy one trains oneself experiencing joy rapture one trains oneself. Experiencing ease, sukha, one trains oneself. Mm. Sensing how the chitta is activated, one trains oneself. Calming the activations of the chitta, one trains oneself. Mm. Chitta activations, emotions, responses, that stuff, acknowledging it, training oneself, soothing it. And all that through this embodied means. One is establishing a center based on ethics, based on right view, based on the sense that if we give right input, we'll get right results. And if you contain it within this body, then you're getting the results are beginning to extremely felt, strongly felt the body feels and now instead of feeling delights of football or whatever which are external meanings you feel the happiness of containment within this so your Vedana turns on topics associated with craving and running out into the sense fields into topics associated with inspiration and gladness. You feel, you sense that. And that's the sense, that's the kind of patisamwedi thorough sensitivity that one attunes to. Gladdening the mind, sensing the citta, gladdening the citta, steadying the citta, freeing the jitta from its tendencies to get obsessive, distracted, one trains oneself. Well, this is a process, isn't it? You know, you can rattle off the phrases pretty quick, but working through that, steadying through that, we're going to encounter not just, uh, you know, physical textures, but energies, within this embodied form 
Those energies for a long time have been used to stimulation. For a long time those energies have been used to aggressiveness, defensiveness, distractedness. Certain patterns have become established. It takes time to just keep acknowledging those and steadily soothing, clearing, breathing through them. Simply speaking, we put aside the topic, person annoyed me, whatever. No, the person is just an idea now. The annoyance, that's there. What does that feel like? What does it need? Widen, widen your attitudes. Whatever he or she did or didn't do, that's out there. Nothing I can do about that now. I can deal with this. This is the way one cultivates. By itself, you know, this collectedness will arrive. And it's of value because it's both nourishing and enriching in its own right, called a happiness in the here and now, not bothered with circumstances. It also clears the deck, clears the sheet. And we can look more clearly through this mesmerizing kaleidoscope of memories and thoughts and instincts and aspirations and ideas and images into what is, what is that becoming process, that formative process, something yearning to hold on to something, and the realization there's the possibility of having a base that doesn't need to do that can stand apart from that. This is the aim of right samadhi. Mm. But like everything else, it's um, good in the beginning, good in the middle, good in the end. So just even the very sense of having a collected intention, a collected aspiration that one sustains, carefully reviews, cleans, establishes, takes as a treasure, takes as a refuge, some virtues, some values that you hold there. Even this is a kind of collectedness that gives us a good centre. Recognise the need to restrain, to filter out. That's an important wisdom faculty. That's going to give you a stronger centre. Gladdening, feeling happy in that centre. Enjoying it. Another very important... uh, cultivation to be developed so that the citta doesn't just get the idea but lingers in the felt meaning the vedana arises we really feel it this is important to make that center something that's has a uplifted state to it Mm -hmm. and these will all be of benefit to the deep cleaning of uh, Meditation, which is what it's about. Purification of citta, the Buddha explained it, this ekayana, this one direct way of mindfulness, for the purification of citta from the release of sorrow, lamentation, pain and despair. Nailed it. (laughs) And for the realization of Nibbāna. Therefore, let's uh, keep our focus strong and clear um, through these changing forms. There is uh, something to be centered in.